Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Oh, yes, Chef listeners, how are you? Good, good, good. Today we are speaking to the most fabulous man himself, Mr. Andrew Clark. Andrew looks after St. Leonard's in Shoreditch as well as Brunswick House and it smells of fish in here, doesn't it? I know, let me just set the scene. Me and Benny Boy and Kiro, the produce, we're, um, we're in Shoreditch. It's a, it's a cold Tuesday morning, um, just about half nine. Beautiful day. We had a little latte and I had a custard bun. Controversial. <laughs> you love that custard bun. I do love bun. a custard bun. And then we, some guy just came in and Kieran just turned around me and went, smoked fish. So yeah. So anyway, you're going to be in for a little treat today. So took yourself up, took yourself in. Let's talk the big man himself. All right, Andrew Clark. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? I'm okay, yeah. So this is nice, this private dining room. It's uh, it's quite fun, isn't it? Um, it's like sitting in a... It, it feels very medieval with these like white um, red draped curtains, lots of logs. Um, That's the vibe I was getting. Big yeah. medieval kind of... Uh, Did you design this? No, uh, well, we we used a company called Fabled Studio um, to do all the design for the restaurant. And they uh, um, they kind of came up with the idea and we 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 paid them for the, you know, the initial drawings and then kind of took that idea and played with it ourselves. Um, ah, okay, so you I, get to put your own spin yeah, into absolutely. it. Yeah, I mean, We gave them a good brief as well. Um, and I think one of the... One of the key details was like we want something kind of monastic, and um, so there's a few little church vibes here and there, something slightly medieval. I think this room could do with uh, a few uh, animal pelts and stuff. <laughs> we go full Viking in here. Yeah, but, more blood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just like lots of ale everywhere. Yeah. I've got a little gang called the Dangerous Dinner Gang, which uh, <laughs> was the name of our um, WhatsApp group. And uh, it was just really about me and my mates. You know, whoever's out, we just jump on the group and say, hey, who wants to go and have some dinner? And then it became a thing, like, you know, with an Instagram. And um, People wanted to be on the WhatsApp group. People wanted to actually join the gang. It was like, how do we get into this gang? It's like, well, just make your fucking own up. <laughs> <laughs> how often, I want to be, be in the party. How yeah. often does this happen? Is it a weekly thing? Is it a monthly it's thing? It's kind of a monthly thing, yeah. Um, and we were getting... We were doing little events and, um, you know, barbecues and stuff like that. Um, and there were chances for people to come down and hang with us and, you know, just eat some food and, and whatnot. Um, but I, I think we might do a little bit more with it this year. We've got a really cool little logo and some merch and stuff. So um, Have some I, fun with it. Yeah, yeah. The, but I, I tend to be 
I don't want to be like a, a leader of the thing. It was, it was, I guess it was something that I instigated with a couple of other friends, but at the same time, I, I just like being there rather than actually. But then you've become the leader. Yeah. You are sat ahead of the table. <laughs> at the moment, yeah. We're just banged up the end of the table, by the way. I can see down. I can see what's going on. Keeps, keeps it sounds like door. my mom's got a similar group and they're called the Thursday Girls. Oh, yeah? It's more like a neighbourhood thing. You know, everyone in the street goes to a house yep. every Thursday. They have a raffle yep. um, oh, nice. where you could win like, you know, a, a bottle of blue tin, tin peaches, mushy peas. Uh, I always ask her, oh, what did you win in the raffle? And sometimes she wins the th- same thing that she brings to it. Takes, takes that's a not, tin, that's tin not a good features. vibe. That you've been gutted, Comes back you? with a tin of features. Should go the Wednesday crew. <laughs> so tell me about this. So what, what kind of dinners do you have here? Do you get to? Do, do they make you cook or what? Um, well, look, you know, I mean, we use this room as a private dining room, um, and uh, we have like a good big set feasting menu. Um, so when it came to that dangerous dinner game coming in, it was just like you know, where should we go for our December? Christmas party. Um, yeah, exactly. And it was like, well, let's just make use of this room. Um, so I put the menu together, the boys in the kitchen cooked it all, and um, I just sat there and enjoyed myself. And it was just, it was such a delight over Christmas, you know, lots of big kind of beeswax candles, and it was nice and warm in here. Um, Very rare for you to go out for Christmas, for a Christmas dinner when you're a chef. Well, <laughs> you I was kind I mean? of on site. I mean, yeah, yeah I was going to say. I'm down in the kitchen. Technically <laughs> working. Busman's yeah. exactly. holiday, not fair. And, 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 you know, there is, there is, Anytime I have meetings and bits and pieces, that, even podcasts, um, then it's always like, come and do it at the restaurant because I can never really leave this place. Do you know what I mean? You're a busy man then because you've got a lot of things going, a lot of plates spinning, haven't you? Yes. I, I, I have tried to slow it down this year just to focus on the things that, you know, really make, um, you know, that I really want to be doing. I think that there was a point where maybe two years ago I was traveling all over Europe, doing a lot of uh, cooking events, guest chef stuff. Um, and it's kind of the quantity over quality. And this year, you know, with I, I want to be more St. Leonard's uh, and focusing on getting this place to where I believe it deserves to be. Um, and at the same time, I've got Pilot Light, which is my um, mental health campaign. And um, we've spent the last year kind of, in a load of, you know getting a load of pieces together so we can really launch it and it's uh it, it will have um uh it'll be a very user based website and support for um uh businesses chefs uh, or just anyone that has mm. kind of mental health problems that need advice and you know um coping strategies um so it's quite, it started off as a very small thing and it's become something so big that yeah, like, you know, it kind say. of even confuses me how much that we can do to it. But um, I've got a good team that kind of picked it up and taken it to the next level. So that must be pretty exciting. It really is. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait to get it launched because it feels like it was an idea that just came about. But, you know, um, as I dug around, it was like, wow, you know, this is just the tip of the iceberg as to what can be done. So having a really good support team and it was actually time to change, which are, um uh, a campaign of mind and uh, rethink two of the biggest like mental health charities in the country. So they've said, look, you know, let's um, let's t- pick this up for you and um, get it working. So it's coming together really well. It's nice. And then that and Brunswick House and Jim's Cafe and, and everything uh, else. It just it seems like I don't know. It's like spinning the plates, but really, yeah. really good things. Well, really I actually, st- things. I, I, I stepped away from Jim's. Um, we launched it as a pop up originally, and then one of us kind of took it over on his own um and i stepped away to open st leonard's brunswick house is in a very good spot 
and um, you know, fortunately, I need I need to go down there like once a month. But we've got a really good team; they run it so well. So it would it allowed us to do this. You know, if that was in a bad spot, then we wouldn't be we wouldn't be opening anything else. So, do you find it frustrating to say no to things because you kind of, you know you've got the idea that you want to really concentrate on certain things? Um, I think now that I just feel I'm kind of a bit tired. <laughs> <laughs> I, I say no to a lot of stuff because actually I'm just and it's not it's just actually I'm too tired I, I don't rest up there's not enough. enough hours in the day it's not and um, I only end up bitching and moaning about stuff when I'm overworked anyway and I don't want that negativity to creep in so it's just better to say look you know at the moment I'm not I'm not focusing on anything other than St. Leonard's mm. and the charity yeah and a book and a book get a book <laughs> yeah, just, just do that um, do, do that in the morning do that in the morning do that in my 20 minute break I'll, I'll, have, I'll stand up and have my sandwich and I'll, I'll keep on going on the book eh? I think you know, it's just like do it subconsciously while I'm sleeping you know like automatic writing you know what book or, or like cookbook or a book cookbook, book yeah, yeah, yeah. cookbook um, a few anecdotes in there you know Alan Partridge style ones excellent yeah. nice. <laughs> you can't fail with them no not at all <laughs> Well, they make me laugh. <laughs> Absolutely, they make me laugh. And me, and me. Right, um, Benny boy, come on, let's let's get in there. Let's go right back. Um, your first food memory? I'm going to say jelly deals. See, this uh, this is something that I didn't see till I was 18 as a, as a northern <laughs> man. I just thought it was a myth, right? But then, obviously, tell me about it because, like, I, it's one of those things that like you only see and only feels nauseous where yeah, I'm yeah. from. So, did it, I didn't even know it actually really was a thing or but, what? All my family are from like Bermondsey and um, Peckham, like the old Kent Road. Um, and even though I was kind of born and raised in Dartford, between, you know, South East London and, um, you know, that top part of Kent, that, that was kind of my stomping ground. And, you know, growing up with a, a, both sets of grandparents, they kind of looked after me a lot. Um, they loved their old school food, you know, pie and mash, jelly deals, that kind of stuff. Um, so I grew up eating very shit sandwiches like, you know, t- lunch tongue and corned beef, which I love to love this day. Yeah. And it never uh, goes never, away. It never goes away. The love for corned beef. I don't know why. Corned beef. Corn why beef why can you never find corned beef sandwiches in any shop? I don't know. I just think people think it's a bit dodge now. We're tinned. I don't know, but I think so, it's great. I love it. I mean, I, I, I finished off a packet at home last night. <laughs> So good. <laughs> so good. Sandwich of choice. So soft. Yeah. Ketchup. And what? shipbread. It has to be shipbread. Yeah. Like, I mean, people have tried to, people have tried to make me sandwiches with, you know, even like really shit hams, shit ham occasionally and, and really thick spread butter. I like it in like really crappy uh, plain white bread. And then someone made it once with, for me, thinking, you know, do the chef a favour. But you sourdough, it's like, nah, you're missing the point here. Yeah. <laughs> I've Corn, the corn beef and Kingsmill, mate. You know what I mean? 50-50, no thank you. But Kingsmill seems a bit too posh for me, to be really? honest. Really? You're going yeah. proper? Really like Tesco's value. What value? Bottom shelf bread? Bottom shelf bread. I mean, it's full of all additives. There's probably no flour in there anyway. <laughs> Lasts for, last for about eight months. <laughs> if you put it in the fridge, honestly, it will not go. No, 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 you're absolutely right. I bought this. It's like a half loaf from my little corner shop, and um, and I looked just to see, you know, when the date was, um, and it, it goes out in sometime in like mid March, which is kind of worrying, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> fresh fresh bread, bread lasting daily. Bread lasting a week it was a miracle once upon a time, <laughs> and now it's lasting a couple of months. Unbelievable. So go on. So these jelly deals, tell yep. me the cracks. So where were you eating them at? Where were you, I, were you in the you know, shops? I, I, was, I was recently down in um, uh, Margate 
and I hadn't been down there for maybe 15, 20 years. And I said to the guys that I was visiting, um, I pointed to a little um, shack and I said, I have a, I have a memory of sitting on a little bench um, outside a, a little seafood shack, eating jelly deals with my granddad. And uh, the girl that lived down there, she's like, that's actually still there, that, that little seafood shack. And it's, so even though I was, it was a, 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 like a vague memory, I was totally right about the location. It, was just, it just came to me in a split second. So, I'm, you know, maybe I have got um, earlier memories, but that was one that was so distinct. And at the time, as a kid, I loved jelly deals. Then I went through a phase of hating them, and now I just love them, you know, and have done for some time. But, um, yeah, as a kid, what a weird fucking kid I was. <laughs> jelly deals. Oh, the worst one I used to do as well. I'd, I'd have black pudding sandwiches as a kid. And go to school because it was pig's blood. And I was just like, you know, it had to be fucking weird and different. So I'd have like this thick cut black pudding in a sandwich. I didn't even know you could cook it until I was 18. What? <laughs> so this was like, you know, just dry black pudding. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So it's just raw black pudding in yeah. a thing. Yeah, amazing. I've not okay. tried that. It must be quite thick. Like you must it, swallow after 10 minutes of chewing. It, it, it really is because unless you cook it, you, it cooking actually softens it. But when it's just straight out the fridge. A lot of I used to work for the butcher for a bit. I think it's worth some peanut butter, isn't it? First day, first, first day I worked as a butcher with this guy called Pepsi when I learned to make sausages. He was just there cutting the, cutting the black pudding and then just eating it raw. And I was like, you can do that. He was like, yeah, of course you can. So there's just me and my mate and him just stood there, just eating this black pudding for 20 minutes. I was like, why do I feel a bit weird? Well, essentially, I've eaten about, I've eaten about uh, two pigs with the blood. Well, it is, I mean, it is cooked essentially because, you, you know, you make the mix up and you poach it and then it's, that's what sets it. But yeah, I, I guess that that product is still considered slightly raw when you don't get all the benefits that you get from actually cooking it and, you know, softening the, the sausage itself, that nice crispy layer, the fat kind of melting out a bit. Oh, keep keep saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going, keep going, keep going. We're having a fire Snotty. up in our brain, yeah. Um, so who was the cook in your house growing up then? Um, my mum mostly. My dad likes the kid that he was, but um, it was always my mum. Weirdly, I, I was having a conversation with my dad about this the other day, but, um, you know, growing up, I was uh, subjected to a lot of pasta because my dad was opening, my, my dad designed a lot of restaurants uh, back in the day, and um, he did a lot of uh, old school Italian places like Spaghetti House and those kind of things. So he was always around like, Italian produce, get loads delivered to us, and I just, I don't know, it's one of those things I just remember either having pasta salads, which would be made with like farfalle, cold farfalle, and then like you know raw onion, raw peppers. Which are, and maybe some tuna, which as a kid, those are fucking raw ingredients. They're not nice. You, <laughs> no kid wants raw onion. Do you no, know they I mean? don't, do they? Especially it burns. Exactly. And the thing, and, and I can't stand this to this day, it, it genuinely makes me like heave a little bit. It makes me feel ill is spaghetti bolognese. Like, I cannot stand the smell of uh, like minced beef uh, frying away or not even frying, kind of too much in a pan and steaming. Yeah, watery. Like, I, I can't stand that. So um, please, if anyone wants to invite me around the house, don't cook me spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> so then that was the bad dish. What was your mum's trademark? Over time, I, I, I obviously learned to appreciate my mum's food. <laughs> and, no, and, and no more than now. I mean, you know, as a chef, we just don't get people cooking for us enough. Um, my mum's signature dish these days is definitely pullo pot. It's always like a, you know, a, 
She would do it twice a week sometimes in terms of getting a big pot, stick a chicken in there, fill it up with vegetables. Um, and, you know, that will last a couple of days. When it's gone, stick another one on. But, you know, it's, as a kid, it got me out of, or, you know, a teenager in my 20s, it'd get me out of a few hangovers. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a shame they live not too far away, but I just don't see them enough that I can you know, run around there when I'm hungover or yeah. <laughs> Do they get to come down here then and visit you or, and, and see your cooking? Yeah, and my dad's always place. in town. I mean, yeah, they're only 20, 30 minutes down the road, but you'd be surprised how when you're working a lot and lots of things on the go, this might be once every two months we catch up. But my dad's always in town. He, he does a lot of business um, in, in the area. So, And he always worked in with restaurants, essentially. That yeah. got you into it, I think. I think so. Um, I, I mean, look, I, I never wanted to be a chef. I, I didn't actually think that... Um, my life would be in restaurants in any way. Uh, I think for, for me, it was um, a bit of a subconscious thing that we, we were exposed to restaurants as, as children, me and my sister. And then um, I, we went to nice restaurants. I'd always, I, I had a big appetite, so I'd always be curious about food, then try and go home and recreate it at some point. So, you know, as a nine-year-old, just standing over the stoves trying to do what I might have had in a really nice steakhouse or something. Failing epically, by the way. We're trying. Yeah, but trying, exactly. Just having um, a steak at nine, though. I can't complain. <laughs> I think it was steak. <laughs> no, right. Nothing else. It was the, you know, Tongue. offal of some kind, yeah. But um, I grew up on a lot of offal. Um, and then, yeah, we were exposed to a lot of that. So I think in my head, at some point, I wanted to be a musician, but at some point I would have been, um, I would have made a little bit of money uh, as a rock star, and then I would have had a restaurant just to you know, sit in the corner with a bottle of claret and see the rest of my days out, you know, something like that. That oh, sounds ideal. That doesn't <laughs> sound ideal. I think we've all tried that at one point in our life, haven't we? The rock star life. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so growing up, you, you know, you're eating jelly deals and stuff, yeah. right? And you're getting exposed to all this food. So would you say that your relationship with food was kind of positive and healthy? Or were you like, were you like a typical kid where, you know, vegetables are like a no-go? I, I think I've always had a decent, um, a decent appetite and been curious and um i think the more extreme it was then i would definitely go for that um i don't you know there were a lot of the kind of food memories that and i don't blame my parents for this or my mum for it but you know just having fish fingers chips and tinned sweet corn and then not draining the sweet corn enough so you've just got these kind of <laughs> this fucking sweet corn water that just makes everything that was crispy on the Dipping plate your bread in it in yeah, it's a, yeah so it's just you know that kind of stuff i didn't actually like so I think, you know, I know a lot of kids have that. It's it's a it's a normal meal for people, but I didn't really like that. So um I think I probably did appreciate better food, you know, good food, um, things that weren't out of a tin or um, you know, frozen. Well, awful as well. I mean, like that kind of thing when I was a kid, I remember and kidneys and, and and you know, and all this kind of all that kind of stuff. I just yeah. I don't know, I don't see it as much. And my, my mates, when I go out there house, we're having Chicago Town pizza, and you're like this is a treat for me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you're used to having these really nice things. My grandma was like, corned beef hash, mm. you know what I mean? Certain days, the traditional Friday things that cook that, you know, like a steak on a Friday. Exciting times. I was, um, my death row dinner is all, uh, would always be fish and chips. I mean, I, I love fish and chips. And so that was like my Friday meal. It was almost religiously. Um, I think as a, as a kid though, uh, you know, in, in my teens that, where I had a curiosity for trying new things, then I loved traveling or I loved going on holiday and then, you know, trying to come back and recreate those dishes that we had abroad and 
obviously don't have the sun or anything else, but um, there is, you know, there was a curiosity about um, travel and food and how they relate. And I still have that, to be honest. I mean, I, I love traveling. I love trying dishes. And then, okay, how can we go back to the restaurant and like anglicize this or, you know, make it slightly more European? Um, so, yeah, I was definitely curious. So what about at school? Because you must be in packed lunch there with your black pudding sandwiches. Yep. Is that was that like an everyday thing, or would you like change it up? I can remember. Uh, <laughs> make it, you made your own. I didn't make my own, no. But I, I was. Uh, I, I knew what I liked, and um, I, I think it was my nan that indulged that side of it. Um, my mum would probably just make me. I don't know ham sandwiches, uh, cheese sandwiches, but that's about it. Maybe you'd get a yogurt in there and a packet of crisps. Or a Kit Kat if we were yogurt for yogurt for for dessert is definitely a younger thing, isn't it? When you're younger, when you're a bit younger, you're like, "We've got to eat, have a yogurt for after." You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> you wouldn't think of having it. You wouldn't think now of having a nice dinner at home with your missus and going fancy a crunch, <laughs> fancy a crunch corner just to end it. Do you know what? Though? You can I, have the jam. I'll have the plate. <laughs> I never actually we, we, uh, desserts weren't really a thing in our house, so I didn't grow up with a sweet tooth. And I think just to have a yogurt was probably more acceptable after dinner than it was, actually, yeah. you know, having a jam roly poly or anything. Oh God, <laughs> I, I was jealous of going out of my mate's house and they're like, they'd have the mum and dad would have cooked like a, an apple pie, a jam roly poly. Yep. It was just a yogurt or a biscuit. So like after you've had dinner, you just have a blue, have a blue ribbon. <laughs> or a, bit, a biscuit and just, a wrapper. Yeah, just literally a blue ribbon or them amazing, what are they called with the, with the marshmallow? Oh yeah, the, oh, the like, tea, tea cake. cake. Oh yeah. Jesus Christ, you have a tea cake afterwards. It's like, oh, they're unbelievable. The Tunnocks range. Tunnocks I mean, have got the caramel, caramel as well. Always have caramels at home. But just, it's the wrapping as well. Yeah. I think because it's from, I'm from Cumbria, so it's near Carlisle, I think Tunnocks was from. Or maybe it's Scotland. It Scottish. Yeah, yeah, Scotland, yeah. Or right up there, Scotch Corner. I was thinking Scotch Corner halfway there. But um, I just remember in the Tunnocks afterwards, and when I used to go walking up the hills, we'd have a tea cake at the top of Coniston Old Man. And that's the only reason I was there, just a fat kid who, wanted a, who just wanted a tonics. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> the, the little treat at the end. I, I tell you, what, I, bought, I bought some um, fake caramels from uh, uh, Lidl. Oh, nice. <laughs> caramels. They, just, I don't even, yeah, they're like a caramel biscuit, you know. And everything about them is proper, but the fact that it doesn't really come in the, the paper wrapper, it's just like, nah, you've lost me. Yeah, so it's they, not they, as they've interesting. They've sat uneaten for about two months and I keep stocking up on the tonics ones and stuff. <laughs> You can't, you can't cheat the original. No, you can't. Not at all. Not at all. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking more about Jam Roly Poly now. You've done me. Um, <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great dessert, isn't it? I mean, here, do you, are you, a, obviously you haven't got a sweet tooth. So when you went into food, were you, do you ever think about desserts or did you just go, oh, that's not me? I, I had Put school the- dinners. I, I love school dinners and I would have a dessert then. I mean, if it was Jam Roly Poly for me, Jam Roly Poly, cold custard on it. Mm. I can't have custard hot. It's, it, it becomes too sweet. But cold, it's not as sweet. And it's just, I mean, jam molly polies are fucking sweet, aren't they? Yeah. Heavy, heavy me, kind of pudding. Heavy. Isn't it? <laughs> My granddad had a bakehouse and obviously used to make roly polies and the jam. And this, but they were huge. The full table, the size of this table now here, I mean, a massive. And he'd set out the sponge and I'd just be watching him at like four, doing the whole jam for the wow. whole thing. And then him and his mate would just roll it chop the ends off and that'd be my chef's treats yeah, yeah, yeah. like every day before oh, wow. school so I'd go there and just collect bags of all this crap to take to school for me mate and like all the off cuttings of shortbread you were bread. selling it at school were you? oh no I was selling fags black, black market rolly polis <laughs> <laughs> come and get your jam rolly polis come, come on boys come on you got any of the good stuff <laughs> <laughs> what's he got today Oh my God, vanilla slice. <laughs> the cake, man. Here Custard. he comes. Here he is. Custard Keith walking up the street. <laughs> Custard Keith. <laughs> right. 
Um, right, let's get back. So we've gone through school, we've gone all that yep. kind of stuff. You talked about being, you know, wanting to be a rock star and wanting to do music and stuff and yep. falling into it. Throughout that, so there was no kind of ambition of going to a kitchen. It was just no, music, no. music, music. No, I, um, so I, I, I left, I left school, I did A-levels and um, I was not, I just wasn't good at school. I, I mean, you know, when I kind of turned up that, I just sat in the back of the room, kind of tired from being at a gig the night before or something. So I fucked up all my uh, GCSEs. Done pretty well in A-level, by the way. But then um, after that, I just, I left. It was, uh, education was wasted on me. Um, and, you know, I did a bit of session work on, uh, you know, in, in the musician, uh, music community. In, as a guitarist, uh, right? As a guitarist. Um, and I t- kind of started building my own recording studio um, and had a couple of bands that I'd play with. Um, and then where did it go? I, uh, there was a changing point in my life where I was, uh, looking at life in prison, which as a 20 year old, it was you know, a 21 year old. It's, uh, you know, quite daunting. Um, and I had to earn some money, you know? Um, so I ended up as I had failed most of my exams and wasn't really good at anything else. The only thing that I had was kind of, you know, interested in and, had a very, you know, small understanding of was actually cooking. So I got a job in a pizzeria or a friend was working in a pizzeria and he said, look, we've got some work down here. Why don't you come down? So I just thought, you know, if it's going to help my music, if it's going to, you know. Fund it. Fund it, exactly. Um, if it's going to do that, then yeah, I'll jump in. But, you know, no one ever told me that actually being a chef is not a good thing if you've got a few other, you know, a few other things on the go. It's just like, it's so consuming, do you know what I mean? And um and I've been joking recently. It's like, you know, I walked into a kitchen 20 years ago to fund my music. And yeah, now not left. finally I'm leaving now. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Just so I can, uh, I'm, I play in a band now and, um, you know, hoping to do some stuff with that this year. Um, so yeah. what age did you pick up a guitar? And do, are you, you know, oh, just teach yourself? No, I actually took lessons. I, you know, um, I was about 10, 10, 11. Yeah. yeah, I was terrible for the first few weeks. So what, what were you listening to at 10? Guns and Roses. All the way. It was. I mean, you know, I, I think uh, um, Terminator 2, the soundtrack, You Could Be Mine, um, that come out. And I saw this video and I was like, what the fuck is this? You know, <laughs> and um, and that was it. Instantly, I wanted to play guitar. I wanted to, you know, be in a band, tour the world, that kind of stuff. The dream was lit then. And Ten years old. Ten years old. <laughs> <laughs> Before that, though, I, I think I wanted to be in the army. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I grew up wanting to be in the army and then I, I found like, at 10 years old music it's a bit more a bit more fun isn't it yeah, at 10 years absolutely. old to look at the guitar and then go actually this could be a right laugh and then by the time you start you know it, that kind of got me into a whole genre of music and then by the time I found like Bob Dylan and stuff like that it's like yeah, I'm not going to be a soldier <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'll stick to this please yeah can, so you, then, can you remember the first guitar you had uh, yeah, it was a, a really um, it was like a Gibson SG copy so it was a really cheap almost homemade copy of uh, like the guitar that like Angus Young yeah. from ACDC and Tony Iommi. Um, yeah, I, and I kind of miss that. I, want one. I haven't had that shape ever since. I've got a lot of uh, Gibson That's your treat when stuff. the book's out. It's going to be the little treat to I, yourself. Literally every night I look at eBay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I sat in bed last night in this eBay hole of what guitar would I buy next. So yeah, so after the pizzeria. Yep. What what happened next? Because obviously now you're still in the fund in the band stage, and I guess that happens for quite a long time. So what's the next step to something that's a I, bit more stable? I to so the pizza reel didn't last long. Um, 
it was terrible. And uh, I just figured, look, you know, I don't want to be a chef, but I'm better than this. And I think the moment I saw someone pick up a garlic bread off the floor and put it on a plate, and so I was like, you know what, I'm out, I'm done. And I just went to like a, an, another pizzeria, but they had a wood-fired oven in this one. This so, is proper. Like, you know. Moving up is, in the world yeah, at this Well, for me, it was always a big deal. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm leaving this place, but I'm going over here. They're serious chefs here. <laughs> but I, I, I've got to be honest, it was my first, um, my first bit of like live-fire cooking where we had this lovely wood oven, you know, wood-fired pizzas. But at the same time, loads of these cast-iron grills that you just heat up in the oven pull them out, put a steak on it, back in the oven again. And it was, nice. and, and, and it genuinely, for as shit as the restaurant actually was, th- there was a flavour thing going on where it was like everything tasted so much bigger and more amazing. So it was still bad produce, but it was a step up. And I think in the early days, certainly in the first two years, where I was a very reluctant chef, I wasn't taking it seriously enough to say, look, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go and, you know, go to, I don't know, Golden Ramsay or someone. Um, I was just trying to be better than the last restaurant that I was working at. But you've, you've still got the kind of the hunger to, to be better, right? Even though your priority is like music, and, but you're doing this to fund your music. So where, when was it like, I actually do want to be a chef and get into this deep? Did that stem from that or was it like a natural thing? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'm... I don't know if I have a, a hunger to be the best at anything. I, I just, I just like doing what I do. I, you know, yeah. I just enjoy doing it. And some people say I'm a bit too humble in that sense, and I should be, boast a bit more about you know wanting to be the best. It's, I just feel that you know I, I'm very blessed at having a job that I, I wake up in the morning. I can, you know, it doesn't feel like work to me, even those sixteen hour days. And when you've got the stresses of opening a restaurant, it doesn't actually feel like work. I come in, I enjoy myself and, you know, I have an amazing team to work with. Um, I just, you know, I think the challenges we have are the things like, you know, you want your restaurant to do really well and survive. And then that's where you have to be slightly competitive or you have to, you know, try and be the best that you can be just for the sake of keeping the restaurant open as long as possible and having some longevity there. And then, so you went from there and then when did you start going into, you went work with Firm Phil Howard, didn't you? You went to Swan. Um, the Swan in West Malling. Was that the, a massive step up? It was, that, I mean, that was the place that engaged me um, in terms of everywhere before that for two years. Uh, for two years, I'd kind of bummed around just earning money in a kitchen. That was it. By the time I got to the Swan, it was like, you know, things came in by the carcass. There was a lot of butchery. And once a week, we'd you'd go up to the markets, Billingsgate, Smithfield, fill up a van, drive it home. And you do like a 3 a.m. till 3 p.m. Um, shift. double shift. God. But it would be a case of, you know, get, getting up early, picking everything up from the market that you've ordered the night before, come back, start prepping it all, putting it all away in the fridges and everything's there for the line chefs to... Exciting that though. Isn't very, it? very good. I'm kind of... It's one of the things I'm actually in, in my writing at the moment. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of reminiscing a lot about and... Uh, they were very, very fond memories from that time of just. Uh, Can we get know, into just, them a little bit, if you don't yeah, mind? Of course, Cause it's yeah. exciting because I've, I mean, well, anything, jumping into any kind of job, any career, but when you know you're at a certain level working with someone that you look up to, yeah. was that a change of seeing the different style of kitchen? It was kind of a lot of ex Marco Pio White chefs um, uh, at the Swan. And for me, I mean, you know, just seeing that, the, 
how serious everyone was. And it was a big team. I was used to kind of, you know, old pirates and stuff. The people that, you know, just didn't really, you know, like, like myself, actually wasn't really taking cooking seriously. They just didn't have anything else to do. But then I got to the Swan and it was like a, a real serious level of chef. And everyone was so immaculately dressed. You know, there was a real uniform going on. And to actually wear the uniform and feel part of that, I was like, okay, now now I can consider moving into this uh, industry and perhaps, you know, putting the guitar down for a bit. And then, so when from there, I, I just keep thinking about go, driving to the butchers at three in the morning. I just think it's such an exciting, it's like almost like a privilege. It's like, I'm also a chef as well. Yeah. And then getting my stuff, sometimes you forget because you think, Christ, you, get, you, you text him at night, you get it in the morning, it's done. Yep. I want to I want to go there, I want to see it. I want to explore. And I think that inspire me. It must be inspiring to write the dishes that way as well. Well, I think, you know, we progressed even more than that. That was a real step up. But going to site Smithfield um, was good, but it was still a bit generic. I mean, these days, you know, and we certainly started that at the Swan, but it was actually trying to find farmers local that can breed things for you. And, you know, what we'd end up doing is like, I was head chef by this point and I had a little truck and I'd get all the chefs in the truck during the lunch break, tear up one of the fields, go and see the farmer and, you know, pick out a sheep. Two weeks later, it's on your chopping board. So you, you're, you're always thinking about the next, uh, you know, Thing that you, the carcass that you want in to work with um so that was you know that's when we stopped stopped using the markets it was actually trying to find day boat um catch from uh kind of local fishermen that had come up from the coast or you know local farms that would grow things for us breed things for us and this was all your idea then but was it getting them people rather going to buildings gate in smithfield yeah really i mean actually we we ended up cutting the team down quite a lot so we didn't really have them the, the the chefs around or anyone actually it was mostly me but um anyone that could actually go up to the market anyway it was quite a detour to go from kent up there so it just made more sense to try and you know source as locally as possible and you know this is maybe 15 years ago uh it's 12 12 13 15 years ago something like that and um i was i really got into foraging and i was obsessed with it so even in the mornings like nice and early on my way into work you'd have like, just picking mushrooms or lunch break, take everyone out and, um, you know, mushrooms, chestnuts, weeds, all sorts. Um, so it was like having so much, it, I know people make a real effort of trying to find everything within a certain mile radius, but actually it was just very easy for us to do that. And it happened by default. And is this, is this kind of, um, experimenting with, with food then? Cause if you're like just foraging and you get, you know, whatever's kind of you come across and then what, do you just try and create something from that? I think that? for us it was, yeah, I, we were just working with Forager. The company had just started, I think. So um, I was going out with those guys, um, reading a lot and, you know, understanding a bit more about what we had locally that we could use and then just eating it and just trying to find out what what does it taste like? And, you know, what, do we, what would we normally do with, let's say it was something like Detanda, which we found on the beach and it tasted like horseradish. Okay. Like, can we use it in place of horseradish on something that's, you know, you'd, you'd have horseradish with, you know. Exciting. Maybe. Just getting you right involved as well. Like yeah. being in a city now, do you miss that a lot? The fact that you Massively. can't walk to work and have and eat, eat a weed in Clapton, <laughs> can you? Well, do you know what? It's really funny actually, because when I finally left the Swan and came into London, came back into London, um, that was about, yeah, maybe, 10, 12 years ago. And uh, I was working at uh, a restaurant and they, they were really proud in showing me things like sea purslane. And, um, and I was like, you know, 
I've literally collected kilos of this stuff. And, uh, and then th- there was a moment where they were like, oh, can you get the chestnuts out of the freezer? And I was just like, what? And they're buying in like peeled chestnuts. And it was like chestnuts, we'd find chestnuts if we couldn't find mushrooms. You know what I mean? The, 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 you know, the woods were littered with chestnuts. So it, it was kind of sad. And then when you're paying like 15, 20 pound a kilo for That's fucking well, stinging it's nettles. It's free though. That's exactly. the thing as well. Like, from being from the lakes, like sometimes I get so gutted that I can't have somewhere up there because everything's everything's close. My yeah. butcher, I, you know, is my mate's dad. Do you know what I mean? It's like it, it, your bread is your nana's mate. Do you know what I mean? It's like all that kind of thing. Yeah. But in everything close, and obviously you can pick on the way to work and not pay fifteen pounds a kilo, no. and you've got something special. Well, we had gamekeepers as well that you, you know used to come into the Swan a lot, and um, we were friends with them. So we'd, we'd on Saturdays we'd go out beating with them, and uh, you know occasionally shooting. And, you know, once everyone that had been part of that shoot, that hunt, had taken what they wanted, everything else went to the restaurant. Almost kind of free of charge. Do you know what I mean? Um, we'd just do a big meal every year for them, like a gamekeeper's dinner. Um, so that was all good. We got all that done. And then, you know, maybe going out lamping and shooting uh, rabbits in the evening sometime. Lamping? I've been only been yeah. once, scared the hell out of <laughs> just, just, I didn't know what it meant. I would just thought, and then out of nowhere, then yeah. loads of these, um, you know, well, it was crazy. He had a ferret. I just remember yeah, yeah, yeah. some memory on my keep My mate's dad had a ferret down his trousers. <laughs> That's a different That's story, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, he keep the ferret warm, put it, it down his kegs, it? and then ferret man. Got, got, got scared stiff when you stroked it. It was horrible. I was like, I said, hey, that ferret's grown. No, no, it wasn't that. No, honestly, he had a ferret down his kegs, and he chucked it. He, he lamped, set his dog. Do you need to speak to someone about this? <laughs> I was like, maybe. Ferret <laughs> down his kegs. Is there a helpline for that? I told, I, took, I told him, I must step to my mate's house, but I you is know, that why ferrets always smell of piss as well? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Honestly, it's the place ferret, that people keep them. Da- ferret man kept it down his kegs. I wish I hadn't said man. that now. Edit that one out, Keith. <laughs> like, um, um, yeah, so where are we at now? Sorry. We're... So what's, um, where, where was there a moment where you've kind of got the confidence in your cooking? Because, you, you know, you kind of progress from these like pizza places where it wasn't really relevant. You didn't have the hunger for it. And now you've seen it the change and that's kind of ignite the spark in you. But was there something where you, you kind of get involved with yourself and you're like, actually I'm, I'm good at this. I think I was very, I, I was very good as a line cook and you know, um, the kind of chef, the party sous chef, it's like playing a game of football or being a footballer. You, you, you have a desire to be the fastest, the most accurate, you know, score the goals. And it, for me, it was just like, by the time I was on the sauce section, you know, cooking the meats and sauces and stuff, and it was just like, you know, I wanted to be untouchable. You know, I'm going to be the best I can be on that section. Uh, and I still feel, <laughs> I'm 41 years old now, so I'm an old man for, you know, compared to some of the young guys that, are, you know, I employ. But it's like even being on the grill now, you know, it's like, come on, let me get on there and I'll show you how it's really done. <laughs> and I try and just, you know, be that little bit better than everyone else in terms of the the service. Um Knowledge, yeah, and I mean, that should happen after kind of 20 years of cooking. But um, I just, it's the speed and it's the the accuracy of cooking that I just, I kind of, I, I don't want to lose that. I think that's quite important. Um, but yeah, that, that period of being um, the one that, you know, I, I would be quite um, territorial about my section. I didn't want to leave those sections. I, you know, I wanted to be on there and that gave me a lot of confidence about what I did. I think by the time I was head chef, and then I'm on the pass. I'm actually, you know, I'm walking around with a fucking clipboard and, all, you know, EHO forms and rotors and, you know, worrying about people's pay and stuff like that. And it's just like, 
it kind of sucks the life out of you really um unfortunately it's just you know it's, it's part of the process but um the sous chef years were my, my most fun i think it's the rock and roll years it was and and you know what i think when i left when i left the swan i just wanted to go back into london and cook and spend a year just cooking and i went to the anchor and hope and that's exactly what i did i jumped on the stoves there and again very territorial about being on the main courses and you'd do like you know there'd be two chefs to do 180 covers and you'd smash through them that buzz must be incredible it's insane insane tell me tell me some stories because I, I i always think i've never been at that level as a chef at all but when i've I have friends and when i've seen things it is that buzz and cooking the, the standard of food and keep the consistency perfect mm. throughout the whole thing it's a pride thing as well i think a lot of chefs it's all about it's about pride and you are working a hell of a long a lot of hours yeah, 12 yeah. hour shifts 13 hour shifts that's a small shift <laughs> and, yeah. and then you've got to then prep it then smash it out you know what i mean it's that kind of like I think, you know, I love hard work and I, you know, I feel like a pig in shit when we're opening restaurants and we have to spend like three months being in the site every day. And uh, I mean, it's obviously not sustainable. You can't do it for much more than that. But for that period, there's, you know, such an adrenaline rush. There's camaraderie. There's so many things going on that make you think, you know why you do it. It's, it's, we were adrenaline junkies, I guess. You know what I mean? You know, we, we love the buzz of that. Um, and, you know, the hard work thing, I obviously have a lot of things going on in my life, but I do feel in my most, it's my comfort zone when I'm actually in a kitchen. I've got a lot of butchery to do, loads of fish prep, create a couple of new dishes for lunch. So your mind's always thinking. And But you actually, for as busy as you are, you can almost switch off the rest of the world. There's no other problems that go on. So it's it's weirdly therapeutic for me as well. It's a little bit like the music thing, you know, because yeah. you've got a, this, you're creating something from the start, from the ground up. So when you first get it to a, a new site, you know, you've got to put that work yeah. in to build it up to get it to the level where it's ready. Yep. You know. And there's, but, and there's also the thing, I mean, you know, I think when we opened St. Leonard's, there was a, a buzz going around about, um, you know, Jackson and I opening a new restaurant. And the last thing I wanted was to be that another overhyped restaurant. I, I, I hate that myself. You know what I mean? It's I, out of your control though, isn't it? It really is. So I, I think that particularly opening this, that was a, a thing that was like, okay, well, if we're going to be overhyped here, I'm going to make sure we deliver. And I think we have, I mean, there's, there's so much room for improvement still. Um, I think we let it dip a little bit when we took our eye off the ball, but I'm back in the kitchen this year. So, and certainly for the next six months, I'll be here nearly every day just to, you know, lift it back up to where I think it needs to be. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's like your baby. I don't have a family, so it's, it's, uh, my only reference to having a baby and, um, you want to make sure that it's, um, it's early years, so the best they can be. Yeah, that makes sense, man. So tell us about your relationship, like how you you and Jackson yep. decided to do that or work together. Because like you've been, like you're saying about how much buzz he gets off being in the kitchen. Mm. Like, you know, I've done that and then I've started my own business. And it does, complete, it's a completely different game, isn't yep. it? Because you, you're not there, you've got to take yourself away, you've got yep. to do this. And it isn't, you're not in control most of us are control freaks a little bit because yeah, yeah. we like to be there every day seeing the past seeing what's going out and it kind of it's hard i think there's i mean i found it very difficult when um considering opening this site that to then have like brunswick house then st leonard's and you know 
we had thoughts of a couple of other things. It's like there's a point where you're, you're no longer the chef. You become the restaurateur. And, and, and I was like, okay, am, am I ready to kind of give up cooking? And it's not to say I'm giving up cooking, but it's like I don't have a, a specific home. If I'm then going to be have, having a head chef in each site and I'm overseeing a whole load of things, I, you know. So there was that transition of just like, you know, it's time to go from one job to another job within the, the business. Um, but now Brunswick's in a really good place. We don't really have to get too involved there. We've got a great team. They know what they're doing. Um, so, and Jackson's going over to open RSA, which is our third site. And I'm not having too much to do with that. But I want to be here. And I want to be here because, like I said, it's just... It's your baby. I, it is my baby. And, this, you know, the, the core of what we do here is was my idea that I had for a, a few years. with, um, And, you know, I need to see that through. And the team deserve to have, a, you know, someone in place that would lead them because I, I don't think um I, I don't think they've had that yet so yeah it's it's, it's nice to be here definitely absolutely um so was there again a, a moment where you kind of you created your own dish and that's something that's kind of stood out for you and you're like right i'm proud i'm proud of that dish. the light bulb moment I when just, it happened I, i'm not sure sh- i thought about this and i'm not necessarily sure um Back in the day, I, I think that using things like foraged produce um, was something just before Noma was on the scene and then they started bringing it into, you know, encouraging Fashion, it. Yeah. Exactly. We were doing it and maybe I was a little obsessed with it, a little too, uh, my use of it was a little uh, too much on a menu. So it was a bit too much too soon. Um, I can't necessarily think of things I was doing with stuff, but I mean, I would have overused that, but I was very proud of overusing that. Yeah, like deliberately. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think if there was anything I first ever did that was it was kind of uniquely me, I don't know, maybe my the, the first terrine that I made, I mean, I couldn't even think what would be in it, but certainly the first terrine where it's like, you know, being in restaurants where you're on a garnish section or something and you know, the first bit of creativity that the chef will allow you to do is do like the soup of the day or something. Right. But I, for me, it'd be like terrines and I, I would have come up with a terrine of some kind. I was at the time, I think I, I really loved doing fish terrines, things kind of set in a little bit of aspect. Maybe it was the jelly deal thing. Yeah, I think it might I, be. I, def- I definitely made a jelly deal terrine once. <laughs> How did that go down? Um, you know, it looked good. <laughs> it's, I, I made it with conger eel though, and it wasn't as um, pleasant. They're a bugger to kill. They're, they're hard graft, isn't it, doing, doing anything to do with eel. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they're huge, aren't they? I mean, trying to land one on a boat is just insane. Mental. There you go, Ben. We know, we know what we're doing next Tuesday. <laughs> we're landing congas. Hey, on the canal. Hey, with the, when I put a ferret down my keg. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not stroking it. Come on. Um, yeah, we were talking before, and I, and I do want to dive into this. We were talking before yep. about Pilot Light. Yep. Um, and I, I've heard about this for, well, since it's come out through mm. Sean and you and stuff like yep. that. And, it's fantastic. And from being a chef and from working in kitchens from, you know, Cumbria to yep. down here, it's something that's never talked about. Can you just like, you know, why you started it, what it is? Because we talked briefly about it before, but. Yeah. I mean, look, for me, the, the, the simplest thing that I ever wanted Pilot Light to do was just to get people talking about mental health. As I said earlier, there's so many things that we can do with it and the whole team are exploring all those avenues. But all I really wanted people to do is just talk about mental health. And, and, and the more we talk about it, 
we can encourage others to do that. And then we, we start breaking down that kind of taboo, that, that stigma that was attached to actually speaking up. Um, so, you know, I, I've got an event to do this week where I'm kind of talking to 200 chefs at a conference and I've done a, a, a in November, I was doing a, a mental health, um, conference the biggest of its kind in the uk actually and you've got prince william sat in front of me while i'm part of a panel which is you know i never thought we'd get get that far but i i guess my role in this whole thing is just talking i just Starting want to talk the ball about, rolling isn't exactly. it exactly and um yeah i say um there, there's going to be a lot more that people can access through websites and uh, a, a restaurant pledge but you know my job really is just getting that word out and keeping that conversation happening so do you see more of that happening, more kind of events where you're going there and you're talking to, to, to chefs and learning about, you know, their experiences and how you can help and your own experience? Certainly. And, and I think we, we, we hope that we can be doing those events as well. But I think even the, the, the narrative now that because people know I'm attached with Pilot Light and talk about mental health, I mean, we're sitting here talking about it on a podcast. I did a podcast two weeks ago specifically on mental health. The fact is now it just means that I'm sure that every time someone speaks to me, a, a mental health thing is going to come up. And that's exactly what I want this to happen. And, you know, my, I've had my problems with kind of addiction and um, depression, um, but I've also put a lot of things in place in my life that allows me to make sure that I never go back to that. And I can only encourage others to either adopt the same, but I know it's not going to work for everyone, but just sharing my story may tick of you know help a few people and um and if even if it's just one person then i've done something it's being aware as well it's getting the awareness of it especially in in this in our industry i don't think i've ever heard and it's never talked about it's just like chefs can be moody because they're tired well why are they tired because they're working do you know what i mean well i think for me it was i just i wanted to recognize there is a problem with depression something i didn't believe in before until i had it and then I went through what I did. I had supportive friends and family. And, and you know, like I said, I, was, I had a determination to get myself out of a hole. When I kind of acknowledged it on World Mental Health Day on Instagram, it just fucking blew up. And um, that's when I feel, felt I needed to do something with it. Now, recognising there was a problem, it's certainly in the Western world, you know, where we put a lot of expectations in, in front of us and, and failure you know, as soon as something does go wrong, then, you know, we're devastated. Um, and I just, I, I guess that I, I felt that with um, the problems that we have in, in, in terms of depression and other mental health issues, um, my voice is biggest in food and this industry. I might as well start with chefs because I know there's a few chefs that have those problems. But then from there, um, kind of, you know, from there it can be adopted by anyone really. If we can show as an industry isn't it yeah Yeah. that's it i mean it it shouldn't be exclusive to chefs or you know industry it should just encourage others to speak up as well so uh, you know there's part of the uh, there's a load of people as part of the food chain that's um you know suppliers that have spoke spoken to me about their issues and it's great i mean that is part of the restaurant industry isn't it Mm, absolutely yeah and it's it's gonna have such a positive impact on a lot of people and it's just it's almost the start of the journey, isn't it? Yeah. It's almost that you know, you're still developing that next stage and who knows where it can go, Yeah, which is the real beauty, right? Exactly. I, I never wanted to own this either. I just wanted to get this conversation started and, um, you know, it will be how the industry adopts it as, a, as its own, the success of it, really. I love the um, chef's hands thing you did. 
Yes. That was wicked. Uh, is that your idea? Was no, that- it wasn't actually. It was Joachim Blockstrom, who's a, a really great uh, photographer. He came to me um, because he'd just started. I think he'd taken one or two other pictures. And um, he said, look, can I take a picture of your hands? Um, I'm doing this thing. And then that's where we started talking about pilot light. And he mentioned uh, uh, another chef um, uh, that had said to him, look, you know, if these hands could talk. And it was really about the story that um, the hands, that chef's hands play and, um, you know, what we've been through, this, the scars, the cuts, the, the burns, burns, that kind of stuff. <laughs> the burns. I've got one of them all. Yeah. Really horrible. And it's <laughs> like, you're covering the bugger all. <laughs> so it was actually, you know, Kim had come to me, he said, look, you know, you, you know, Pilot Light has a dialogue. This Chef Hand project has a dialogue. Can we put it together? And, you know, um, so um, we, yes, I, I said, yeah, absolutely. Let's do this. And um, we, we put on a little uh, show, um, like a little private view uh, in November, I think it was. And then we did some auctions and it was, I mean, it was just so well received. And now people want to get involved and have their hands taken. And, and I think there's even like a, 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 an industry members club that's just opened in Soho. And I know they've been asking to get some of the prints for the walls there. So Some yeah. really good ones. One guy we had on, Tom Brown's on it, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is I, was, I was actually really surprised. I mean, all credit to Joachim for actually going and being as ballsy and just getting as many chefs on side on it. But um, that opened up such a big avenue of support from everyone. It was just... Um, and it's another it's really, thing really that's good. continuously evolving and yeah, exactly. will evolve, you know. Well, you know, we could think about doing a book next. Always with the books. Yeah. Another book, another book. book. (laughs) I'm not going to write this. (laughs) Uh, Do you know what it was? It was, it was more that, you know, for every photograph that got displayed, then we'd, we would write our own little notes. That's nice. um, Whether it be a a paragraph or, you know, a a full page of something about our experience uh, in a kitchen, our our struggles and stuff. And um, that's when we started thinking about, you know, having the book where you've got, you know, the, the photograph one side, the dialogue the other side, and just... Little coffee you know, table book. It, w- it thing, would yeah. be, yeah. And that, that, that would always have some relevance as well. It's not going to be one you find in the bargain bin in Sainsbury's in a year's mm. time. That would be around for... Yeah, around. I, such a great idea. The mm. stories behind them, you know, the, the things that you would never really know would be so interesting yeah. and motivating, yeah. Little tales, little tales from the hands. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> not these ones. Not no chance, Andrew. Put them away. <laughs> Come on, dick fingers. <laughs> <laughs> um, too many ferrets I know right um, so yeah we t- obviously that was superb I think talking about other places obviously you're opening the new place in Notting Hill next yep. year well this year sorry so when's that happening next, next month next month exciting well yeah, yeah but like I say I, I'm not having too much to do with it it's a, it's a, a very smaller site in, it's in Notting Hill I mean I fucking hate West London personally <laughs> um <laughs> uh, but yeah we, we had an opportunity to do something and it just kind of meant that you know me and Jackson are at a kind of safe distance, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Um, no, I, we want to do some big things together this year, um, but uh, it was easy for him to go over and do that while I just kind of you know, concentrate, yeah. concentrate on this. And then we've got, uh, hopefully by the end of the year, we've got a couple of other little things coming up as well. Mm. So where are some of your favourite places to go and, and eat mm. and enjoy your food? I... Um, I'd love to say I eat out a lot and I don't really eat out in the right places or, you know, the, the places that um, I don't really pay myself much money and um, therefore <laughs> I feel like I'm always going on the poverty line of where to eat. So, you know, little noodle bars where I can get a bowl of noodles and broth for five pounds. That's, you know, I'm a bit of a cheapskate. And, um, 
Some of the best ways to eat, though. Yeah, but it's, it's, but it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. You never get disappointed because you've only paid a fiver. So no, the best thing is you're absolutely right. And and then I get to the point where I don't really want to cook at home because it's I'm not going to go down to the shops and do all the shopping and then go back and do that. It's like well, if I'm working like six days a week, I take Sundays off religiously. Um, but you know. Any spare time I've got, then it's just it's easier for me to go and get some noodles somewhere. And um, I have a couple of little haunts in uh, Hackney that I just you know go and hit up. But I've got to say, some of my uh, you know if I do get out, I, I went to um, Sambo Shock. Yeah, um, I went there for my birthday and a dangerous dinner gang. Um, uh, I want this bloody WhatsApp number. Yeah. I'm getting involved. <laughs> we turned up us three outside with a, with a, there'll be no one else there. The microphones. <laughs> We'll do your album. It's next week. It's next week. Oh, bloody hell. And that was, that was great. I mean, again, noodle, noodles in a spicy broth. That was delicious. Uh, their fried chicken there is just off the hook. Um, so I can't wait to go back and actually buy a plate of fried chicken that I can dunk in the noodles and just have that going on. Um, I'm always at Smoking Go. I feel like I'm there because it's just around the corner. And it's, you know, the food's great. It's, you know, it's We've heard right so many good food. things. So many people have told me about this. But yeah. I, yeah, it sounds great. It's, and it's just so affordable. I mean, I don't want to say it's cheap. It's just affordable. and It's awesome uh, food. Really and, good you know, food. So I'd be in there two or three times a week, particularly when we was building this place. You know, the, the whole building work was going on so slow that um, I... Uh, just eat with kill time. Up every day. Yeah, exactly. I have our meetings down there. So, um, yeah. It's, Very nice. Right, do you want to get into quick fire? Quick fire, mate. Let's crack on. Right. It, it is well, how it sounds. To be fair, it's not very quick because we'll say something and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk for twenty minutes. Then you'll yeah. have a story about a ferret down some trousers. Yeah, or maybe, maybe. <laughs> favorite favorite animal down your trousers. Yeah. <laughs> right, go on. You start. Um, top three foods you couldn't live without: noodles, noodles, fried chicken. Yeah. I've said those already. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I was just thinking. Um, uh, maybe let's drop the fried chicken, fish and chips. It's my, it's my death row meal. And then I'm going to say pie and mash. Oh, nice. Because, Two for one. Yeah. Because pie and mash with a side of eels. Um, yeah, I, I grew up on that. And I live just around the corner from Broadway Market. So I, I often pop in there. Uh, uh, what is it called? I think F. Cooks. F. Cooks, exactly. Mm. As you know, from some from someone from South London, uh, that area, we was always in Manzies, which right. to me was like you know that's the one you go to. And I spent in my kind of when I was about eighteen, I'd go there every lunchtime, the one on Towbridge Road, because I was a painter and decorator, uh, just earning some money. And I'd walk around there and go and have like double pie, double mash. You know. <laughs> awesome. Was it a Friday? Yeah, go back. <laughs> it's literally every day of the week. It's the cheapest thing I could eat. Amazing. <laughs> so, f- have you got a food guilty pleasure? Food guilty pleasure. Now that's where I'm going to put fried chicken in. Yeah, yeah. that's your, your go to. It is. I mean, it's got me out of a lot of hangovers. Um, it's a naughty one, isn't it? It is. I love the way it's gone up market as well now because I could still have them. I can have the upmarket and I can have the absolute pits and so enjoy I, them both I, I, exactly I, the same. Yeah, I, I think there's. I don't like it when it's too refined, um, and I don't like it when it's too cheap. And like you know, even though we do it to ourselves, but going into like a Perfect fried chicken. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. P- PFC. They, yeah, exactly. And then they just sit like a big pile of wings on top of each other and they just get soggy and they're not particularly pleasant. We do it to so, so. I love kebabs. Yeah, and I've too. got to say, December 
I had a few too many doner kebabs, which I'm paying heavily for now, and I'm having to train hard to get this fucking spare tire off. I like the I like the the doner thing as well because I I get a, some dirty looks when I go with mates and order a doner. I'm like, well, I'm not waiting for ten minutes. I'm having a kebab. <laughs> funny, I want it now. Funny story. <laughs> During December, I, I genuinely had a doner kebab on the way into work. Wow! <laughs> it was like eleven that o'clock is... in the morning. Morning kebabs. I've done best Turkish in Scott yeah. Newington, and I had a yeah. morning kebab, and it put and it, I couldn't have them for two months. So I was like, this is not. It, did it for me because I was like, oh, that was too much. That's got yeah. a certain ring to it. I think you should start a place called Morning Kebabs. They're unbelievable. Perfect. That that, that kebab shop, best yeah. Turkish kebab in Stoke Newington. It's it's reg. It's like a it's regimented. There's ten yeah. of them in a row. Have you seen the Have you seen the picture they've got oh, on the yeah, wall? Yeah, yeah. With them all that, the best thing I spoke to the friends. guy. No, there's a picture of them all on the wall. They've all got the hand on the shoulder, but they don't do a picture every time someone leaves. They just take the head out of someone and put the head in. So <laughs> someone's got a Chinese hand. And a Turkish face. And it, me and my mate just point and laugh every time. And then there's David Schwimmer with a... Yeah, yeah. David Schwimmer came in 1998. Yeah. Love from Ross. Yeah. Love from Ross. It's great. Do you see the side? When they're actually first on the spit and they've just made them, they're like... Oh, they're unbelievable. Yeah. Half a metre wide. Yeah, at like 8am and there's a queue still. People are there. It's me and you. <laughs> we're for, on the way to work. Well, I, yeah, I, I do... I, every now and then I just have this kind of thing where I have to eat something really shit. And I'm not hungover and I'm not pissed. I, but I've just got to, I, I get it in my head that I'm, you've got to have a kebab today you've, and it's got to be a really good doner kebab. It's determination. With no shame whatsoever. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do that. Well done. <laughs> straight there. It's always full of police as well, isn't it? Just getting there. Of course it is. They they are. Always there. Always there, the police. You know it's good then. Right. Biggest kitchen disaster. I, I think I, I've had so many close calls, um, but touch wood a lot. I've never quite had a disaster. Um, there has been times when I've been like doing, uh, event catering for restaurant groups and, you know, it's someone's wedding. You're in the middle of a field in a big marquee. <laughs> Here we go. This oh, always see, happens. Someone says, the someone says, no, I'm nothing, nothing. Just, you can see the light bulb moment. It comes to her and they can just like, I know, oh, I know. No. I, but this wasn't necessarily, so this particular incident was not anything to do with us it, and we didn't make it. It was just. We were cooking at this um, wedding and the bride and groom had ordered a, a croque en bouche as their uh, wedding cake that sat in the marquee. And then they had a live band that was in the marquee and they were doing their like, um, kind of warm up sound check. The kick drum was just boom, boom, boom. And it was a warm day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And uh, the croque and bouche took a nosedive off the table oh. onto the floor and just went everywhere. And I remember the manager coming in saying, is anyone good with sugar work? <laughs> Jesus. And I was like, what's up, Dave? And he's like, um, uh, the croque and bouche has fallen off the table. I was like, oh, come on, what's up? And he says, it really has. <laughs> so I, I sent someone down to the Tesco's, grabbed some um, uh, sugar. We melted that down and I kind of pieced it all together. But this thing, I mean, it looked like it had been in the dishwasher, like in a washing machine or something. It had just been tumbled around. Um, I, I mean, I kind of saved it, but it, it, there was no way it was ever going to look the same again. <laughs> Modern art. Modern art. That's what you got to yeah. do, isn't it? We just, you know, we spun a lot of sugar and just kind of put this nest around it to hide a lot of the detail. But I'm sure that the, I, I weirdly, I, the, the brother of the groom I met many years later, and um, we were having a laugh about it. And he said, "No, they were so grateful that someone had rescued it." Yeah, it was kind of out of our control. Did not, and it was the second time I've ever experienced someone wanting a, a, a croque en bouche in summer. 
for their wedding because uh, we, we actually made one one year at another restaurant and um, left it in our PDR and it was just starting to melt and it was just like, who does this? Why would you do this? Why would you do it to it. yourself? Why would you put yourself with the stress? That was it. I, 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 after that time, I was like, never again. You're doing wedding. Wedding, never do weddings. I've had some harrowing things doing weddings. First ever time I did a wedding and it was like, we just set up a catering company, me and my mate, never catered before. You know what I mean? We, we were singers in a band. So we were just like, let's do it after this. And we went to Cumbria to learn to make sausages for six months, came back. Yeah. This guy just said to us, you got to do his wedding. It was his friend. We were like, well, we've never, ever cooked for anyone. He said, well, you could do mine. For... So he hired us because we were cheap and we didn't know how to cost things, right? And then we turned up this hall, started cooking, didn't realise that you could prep things the day before. So we did 150 bangers and mash. <laughs> the oven broke. So in the end, they weren't bloody cooked. Three hours late. That's three hours late the oh, food was. Shit. It was honestly the worst day of my life. And I went out afterwards, right? And I thought I had a can of beer and I sat on like um, a car kind of bonnet. And so no, someone didn't see I was there and walked out and went, great wedding. Food was shit. And I just, <laughs> and I, just started, I just started crying. Oh, just started no, crying. No. And I was like, I'm never, ever doing that again. Two weeks later, I got myself a pop-up and I was like, oh, that's me done now. <laughs> but then you, you live and you learn. Learning curve catering, I was going to call yeah. it for the first two months. And I was like, I won't get picked up here. We're evolving. Yeah. But what can you do? Because they just sent the, it was the vicar. Obviously it was the vicarage. So the vicar came down. He's like, oh, I know how to fix ovens. I was like, it was just a house oven for 150 sausages. Shit. It was awful, man. We've, we, I mean, I've definitely, like I say, I've had so many close scrapes um, and just, you know, pulled it out the bag last minute. But the story I was actually going to say before I, that crock and story popped in my head was that I remember being at one place and you're kind of in the middle of nowhere. Again, in a marquee, you've got a generator to power the ovens. And we were doing, I don't know if it was like lamb leg. I thought it's like stuff, lamb saddles, I think they were. And it was maybe 80, 100 people, but these things are cooking in the oven and then everything goes down. The generator goes down. And again, it's out of your control, but you've got to get that food out to them one way or another. And um, uh, I think we just managed to cook it to the point where instead of giving it a nice rest before you started slurring, um, having them cut and then a you know, nice rest before going on the plate, it was literally slice on the plate, sauce, go. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and it was as fine as that. Um, but I, I, I'm glad that those days are behind me. There's something about being in a restaurant where, you know, again, you, you are in a certain comfort zone. Things can go wrong. They do go wrong. Um, and particularly when people don't show up to work, it's, you know, that's, that's, you're already on the back foot. But uh, I think the stresses of doing outside events where you haven't got, you can't change things. Do you know what I mean? I've got to roll with it. Yeah. Totally done with that. No more. Um, if you had to eat the same meal every day, what would it be? Uh, pie mash. I'm not sick of that at the moment. <laughs> I've got to say, we're all going, we're all going pie and mash for a long time. A bit of liquor. Do you know what? That's a lie. Um, noodle soups. I, I, I eat so many and they are so varied. So whether it be a ramen or a pho or, you know. Alexa, a few people have said that, haven't they? A few mm. people have been on that. I like that because it's just so, it's light, it's kind of yeah. like, but it's light and it fills you up at the same time, if you know what I mean. You can have yeah. them, I could have them every bloody day. There's a thing about, the, you know, I, I just love things with a lot of broth and it, I, it's so restorative and it just kind of kicks you out of a, a, a hole. Um, also, you know, I love the chew of nice hand-pulled noodles and, you know, if it's got a bit of spice in there, I load it up with chilli oil and stuff like that. But um um, uh, Shock's laxas are really fucking great as well. Do you know what I mean? So they give you a little bit of a punch. So, um, 
I need to get that soon. I need to go and go. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. We need one of them. This is our geeky question, so you yeah. can really geek out if you need to. Um, top three bits of kit in your kitchen you can't live without? Well, I mean, we've got a little fireplace, um, which is the heart of the restaurant. Um, that, to me, is just something that I was inspired by a, a, a trip to um, La Tupina in Bordeaux, which is this old restaurant. We've got um, a big old fireplace, and they cook things in like a cauldron of duck fat, a small little grill, a tiny little spit. And I just thought, you know, how it'd be really good to have that in a kind of bigger scale in a London restaurant. And um, we, we kind of took the fireplace idea and I drew a, um, a little frame on the back of a napkin and sent it to a, a friend who like, literally welded it all together within 24 hours. And now we're just adding bits to it all the time. There's so many things. It's so versatile. And we haven't even had a chance yet in the kind of eight months we've been open to really explore what we can do with it. But I'm, I'm really excited about, you know, doing so much more to that. So, um, yeah, that's that. Um, other things in the kitchen. I mean, I feel myself a bit more traditional than I, I, the days of having all these gadgets and stuff have, uh, have been and gone for me. I think I, I use, we, we have a, 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 you know, a backpack machine, which I use very little these days. Um, rationale ovens are great. I, I mean, at the end of the day, they, they, they're a steamer. They're a, um, you know, good kind of solid oven. Um, they have a thermometer in there, so that helps. Um, I, I couldn't live without them. We do try and, you know, do a little, you know, a lot of things on the fireplace, but then, you know, when we have to cook overnight, then stuff will go in the rationale and finished on the fire afterwards. Um, so where are we? The hearth, the rationale. Maybe the Paco Jet, Thermomix, maybe the Thermomix. It's a bit more versatile. Everyone loves a Thermomix, don't they? I don't like their new ones. Their new ones are shit. They really are. They're, they're electronic and, and... We're going for a sponsorship here, Andrew. <laughs> 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 I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Imagine that. that. But they are shit. <laughs> they are terrible. Um, the, the, the model they had before was just so simple. You just turn the dial and whizzed around. Now, you, even when they you unplug them, Try to make them fancy, aren't they? They are making them fancy and they're shit. And they're bigger. Mm. But anyway, you unplug them now and then if you, if, so if you don't shut them down properly, you plug them back in and you've got to go through like this 10-step thing just to get them back up and running. It's just like, no, chef. No need, yeah. No I've got time, time for this. this. No Definitely. time for this, come on. And being small, bin. yeah. Um, last question. If you could cook your favourite meal for one person, who would it be? My favourite meal for one person? Who would it be? And you can, you're cooking it, don't forget. You can eat it with him or her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, uh, I guess my girlfriend, isn't it, really? It has to be that. He smashed that one out of the water. I know, Jesus. But... <laughs> it has to be. If I said anyone else, I'm not really a good, I, 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 as I've got older as well, I just can't be bothered to be around people. I've just become that kind of miserable old man. <laughs> just like, over Christmas, I stayed in. Like you know, I was getting invited to a bunch of things. I was like, no, I'm just sitting in on my own. So 10 days I had like my own little home protest where I just didn't go out. Get the guitars out. Got the guitars out. Loads of Columbo on TV as well. <laughs> Sounds like Christmas, that, yeah. Perfect. So it's just like, you know, there's, the, the people say about like, you know, what dinner party guests would you invite? I'm like, no one. <laughs> I've just got to that point where I just don't tolerate people anymore. I, just, I don't really have much to say myself. Anymore. I'm just like, I'm tired of speaking. Like, Peace and quiet. Exactly. My Chill girlfriend can tolerate me and, you know, I love her to bits. She's good. It's a lovely way to end. Um, Andrew Clark, thank you very much. Thank you very much, guys. Cheers. 
Andrew Clark, what a lovely dude. What a great episode, what a good conversation. We talked everything from foraging, rock and roll. Mental health in there. Well, this is an amazing thing that he talked about with his pilot-like campaign, opening the doors to mental health awareness in the hospitality industry. It's great to see those conversations starting to kind of come out and uh, everyone's just getting on it and getting involved. Uh, So yeah, great episode. So you know what to do? Like, subscribe, get involved, write a review, tell your nana, tell Ferret Man. We're out in the ferret man, aren't we now? So, you know, we're going from there. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you all very soon. Ta-ta. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.